Good morning, ANCC. It's an honor to be with you, uh, to be a part of your worship service, uh, and to bring God's word to your community, especially during such a challenging time. Obviously, with the pandemic uh, being so difficult, and then adding to that uh, just the light that is being shown on uh, the racial injustice that our black brothers and sisters not only are going through, but have been going through for so long. And so into this, uh, it's my honor to be able to share God's word with you. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Luke chapter 8. We'll be looking at verses 4 to 15. This is the reading of God's word. And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, Jesus said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed and he sowed. Some fell on the path, and some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away, because it had no moisture. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes, takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root because they believe for a while, and in a time of testing, fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. Amen. A few, a few months ago when Pastor Mike asked me to uh, share a parable, uh, I decided to pick the parable of the sower because parables are so hard for me to understand as a Christian. Uh, I, I chose one that Jesus interpreted himself so that I wouldn't have to do uh, the work of exegesis. So I come to you with this parable uh, to share with you and uh, hope that it uh, leads us and guides us in our Sabbath rest. Uh, my hope is that it will reconnect us to Jesus, his words, and his gospel uh, during this difficult time. You know, this text is a little bit lost in translation in the English text. And that is, uh, it is trans the word is translated in the first verse that we read that Jesus said in a parable. It makes it sound like a noun, whereas in the Greek, it's actually an adverb. So uh, what, it, what is probably a more accurate translation is that Jesus said parabolically this sermon about a sower and the soils. And the significance of this is that uh, the reason why Jesus is saying this is because, and he's preaching in this fashion, is he is going to preach the kingdom of God. That's what, he's come to, that's what he has been doing. It's what he will continue to do. 
But what this specific message is going to do is he's going to uh, speak parabolically to interpret people's reactions to the gospel. In other words, some will listen, some will reject, and this message is actually a message about why do some reject and why do some accept this message about the kingdom of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so here, the first thing I want to look at is why do those who reject, reject? Well, the first um, soil gives us a clue Uh, But ultimately, all three paint a picture of people who reject the gospel because in the gospel, they haven't found what they're looking for. And so the first soil is the path. And here we're told that some seeds fell on the path, but the birds came and uh, they took it away. And the birds represent the devil himself. In my opinion, in my study of Scripture as a whole, this is a reference to a heart that has lived an unexamined uh, life, uh, an unexamined life and an unexamined heart. Why do I say this? Because whenever the devil and spiritual warfare are introduced in the New Testament, it almost always refers to the battle that happens within the mind and that that battle is fought and won not only with prayer, but also with doctrine. So just go back to Ephesians uh, chapter 5 and look at the famous and great spiritual warfare text. And what you will find there is that time after time, Paul is encouraging us to be alert and to think and to review our doctrine. In other words, to examine ourselves, to examine our lives. And so in some sense, uh, one reason why people reject is because they, because of an unexamined life and an unexamined heart, there is simply no interest in the gospel. And so the devil takes it away. The second soil is the rock, which is, uh, represents a time of testing. Now, scholars debate on whether this testing refers to a general concept of temptation or more specifically, uh, persecution for one's faith. It is my opinion that Jesus is referring to persecution with this soil because he's actually going to address temptation in the third soil. And I don't think he's being redundant. And so here, what that means is if it's a reference to persecution, then uh, the rock refers to the person who likes the gospel but who doesn't love the gospel. We, they like the gospel, but not enough to endure pain or loss for the sake of the gospel. This is probably best illustrated in um, Luke chapter 18, where the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus lists a bunch of commandments, an incomplete list, uh, which is very, it's a very interesting list. Um, because he omits all of the love God commandments and he lists the loving others commandment except for thou shall not covet. And the point there, what Jesus is doing, this man says, I, I've done all that. I, I have uh, I've obeyed that since I was a u- in my youth. And Jesus says, well, good. Now sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And then it says the rich young ruler walked away sad. Very, very interesting response. 
I would understand being zealous, saying, Jesus, I, it was never about the money anyways. I follow you. I can understand that reaction. I could understand uh, almost a mocking scoff where he says, there's no way I'm doing that. And he just walks away. What I don't understand is why is he sad? Remember, Jesus doesn't list all ten commandments when he lists the law of God. He omits the loving God and he omits the covet. And what he's doing is he's doing heart surgery on this young man. And he's showing him that you don't love God because of your greed, because of your love of your wealth. And so here we have this picture of a heart that likes Jesus a lot, but doesn't love him enough. And that's why the rich young ruler was sad. He realized that he didn't love God, even though he was so interested in what Jesus had to say. He was interested in the gospel. He was interested in the kingdom, but not enough. The third soil is the one that has in it thorns, and it's choked, uh, it chokes the word, the gospel, because of the cares and the riches and the pleasures of this life. And this heart is uh, the one that Jesus addresses in other parts of the gospel, a heart that is serving two masters. And so um, there are the, those are the reasons why a, a heart rejects, right? It refuses to reflect because it doesn't care. Uh, it refuses uh, to persevere because it doesn't love deeply enough. It refuses to repent because its heart is rooted more deeply in this world than it is in, than it is in Christ. And so in the gospel, they haven't found what they're looking for. So why do those who accept, accept? Why do those who follow, follow? Well, I think uh, con conversely to the re people who reject, uh, it's actually because they care. Uh, people listen and they accept the gospel because they care, and they care because they love. But remember, the heart of the sermon, uh, when Jesus speaks parabolically, the message, the heart of the message isn't on the surface. So it's not found in, in, in these hearts that reject Jesus and in the heart that accepts because it's a good soil. We have to read between the lines. The reason why Jesus speaks in parables or he speaks parabolically is because um, if, you, if you don't care and you just read it at a first glance, you'll never understand it. And you guys have experienced that. Have you ever done, uh, have you ever read parables during your devotion? You never understand it on a first read. It makes no sense. And Jesus is actually speaking enigmatically. He's speaking with a level of obscurity on purpose. Because only those who truly love and truly care, only those who really want to understand will seek, and those who seek will find. And so Jesus speaks in this way so that we will, sit, we will dig and dig. Because only the one who loves Jesus will flip through the pages of Scripture and see, are there any books or chapters that shine light on this? Uh, only those who care will write down on a post-it questions for their pastor or for their friends. Or will Google it or will go on YouTube to search and to find the answer to this difficult thing that Jesus is saying. And so why 
Why is it that those who accept, accept? Now the simple answer, the on the surface answer is because they care and because they love and because they found in the gospel what they were looking for. But the deeper question is, why do we love? Why do we seek? Why do those who seek care? And why do they care and why do they love? That's what this is actually about. And the answer that Jesus provides is that this is not a message about the soils. It's actually a message about the sower. You see, the key to this, kind of one of the clues to this is the prepositions that some of the seed fell along the path, some fell on the rocks, and some fell among the thorns. But some went, in the Greek, some went into the soil. Now you see, Jesus is speaking to an agricultural people. Uh, unlike us. For you and I, we go to Whole Foods, we go to Target, we go to uh, uh, Ralph's and Vaughn's and Trader Joe's, and uh, even if you, are, you care deeply about sustainability and farm to table, uh, you and I are very much disconnected and removed from how our food comes into being. But this was not the case for the listeners of Jesus. So when Jesus talks about the seed that went into the good soil, his listeners would have understood something that you and I are likely to miss. And that is what makes good soil good is actually the work of the sower. The people in Jesus' time would have known that the good soil was good because the ground had to have been plowed by the sower. The seed had to have been planted, and then the seed had to be covered, and then the seed would have to be watered by the sower, the farmer. So you see, it's not really about the hearts of the listeners per se, but rather it is about the work that the, that the sower did. And so we have to be careful because the religious interpretation of this passage is if you want to grow, you need to reflect on the Word of God. If you want to grow and you want to remain in his word, you need to be tough and persevere even in the face of persecution and great cost to following Jesus. The religious interpretation is give up this world and let go of everything and follow him. Lose your life if you want his word. Now, the, every single religious point is true, but it is incomplete. Because the gospel interpretation and the heart and the message of this parabolic sermon that Jesus is giving is that if you, if you are a genuine uh, follower of Jesus, that means you love him and you care. Therefore, you will reflect. Therefore, you will persevere. Therefore, you will repent of the idols that you and I have taken into our hearts. But the reason why you reflect the reason why you have the strength to persevere and the reason why you have the spirit to repent of serving two masters is because of the grace and the work of Jesus in our hearts. One great example and lesson, a kind of a light that Luke shines on this reality is found in Luke chapter 22. It's one of the great injustices of all scripture where uh, Peter denies Jesus three times and later goes on to become the, one of the greatest disciples and apostles uh, that Christianity has ever known. Judas Iscariot only betrays Jesus once. Only once, yet is not considered a Christian at all. 
And you see, Luke chapter 22 tells us the difference between the two men. In verse 3, we read that Satan entered into Judas Iscariot. Same chapter, verse 31, Luke tells us, uh, Jesus tells Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan asked for your heart. He asked to take your heart and to go into it just like he did for Judas. But Jesus says, Peter, I prayed for you that your faith would not fail. I want you to think about that, friends. The difference between Judas and Peter wasn't the goodness of their hearts. It wasn't the readiness for the gospel per se, but rather it was the prayer. It was the work of the sower in the life of Peter. And I just opened up a can of worms. Because if you're an educated person, you're an intelligent person, you're a thoughtful person, you're going to go, wait a second, this, this doesn't come for me. This disturbs me. Why does Jesus pray for some and not for others? And, and it leads us down a very dark path. But I want to actually illustrate something and, and present to you that the sequence of truth matters as mo- much as the elements of the sequence. And so let me, let me explain what I mean by that. There's a riddle that I shared with uh, Pastor Mike a little while ago. We were hanging out. And uh, I'm going to kind of go through it quickly because you have the opportunity to rewind and watch and listen to this riddle over and over again to try to figure it out. Uh, in this riddle, there are three men. They go into a hotel. The room costs $100 a night, so each of them gave uh, the owner $100. The owner was feeling good and decides to give them a discount. So he takes $50 out of the cash register, gives it to the bellboy, and instructs the bellboy to go and uh, redistribute this $50 as a discount to those who came. Well, the bellboy was smart. He realized that 50 is not divisible by three, so he takes $20 and he puts it into his pocket. He gives $10 to each man. Now, what's interesting is that means each man paid $90 for his room, right? 90 plus 90 plus 90 is 270, plus the $20 in the pocket of the, of the, of the bellboy is 290. The riddle is, where did the $10 go? Now, I'm going to save you a lot of headache. The riddle is actually based on a math, uh, math theory that uh, if you order numbers in a certain way, um, you basically don't end up with what you think you should get, right? In other words, it breaks down. And I think the gospel works similarly. You could have all the right numbers. I didn't manipulate the numbers. I didn't give you false numbers. I didn't dupe you. But if you arrange the numbers in a certain way, what you have at the end of that is something that doesn't make sense. And I want to present to you that the gospel works in that way where if you uh, set before yourself this kind of a why didn't Jesus pray for Judas, then none of this life will make sense. But if you order it the way Jesus is trying to order this in our hearts and in our minds, what you will realize is saying this, is that, man, if you, you are my true disciple, if you reflect, you are my true disciple, if you love me enough to be persecuted for me, you are my true disciple, if you repent, but the reason why you do those things is because you love me. And the reason why you love me is because I first loved you. And that's something that you and I can wrap our minds around. 
that those who follow God, those who love God, do so by grace and grace alone. And without the gospel, everything goes to hell. You see, friends, during this current political climate, during the pandemic, during all the um, social uprising, I have a deep concern, and I'm not going to sit here and pick sides, but I have a deep concern from both sides of almost any issue that's being raised right now. And that is, there is kind of a, um, there's kind of a self-righteousness that we're, we're carrying with us, including myself. There's a self-righteousness in our discourse. In other words, when you and I step away, when we step away from the gospel that says you are who you are, you have what you have because of grace and grace alone. You and I, we take one step from that and what emerges is a self-righteousness that colors and taints our engagement with what's going on in our society. And, and I say this because people are, are on, on every side of the issue refusing to listen to other people, refusing to show grace, refusing to show charity, refusing to do these things. And I want to say that if we, if we forget the gospel, no matter how right our cause is, especially in the context of injustice, those who who are fighting injustice, if the gospel is not driving them, they will become the perpetrators of another kind of injustice when they're in power. That is a fact. I can tell you this as a parent. That's parenthood in a, in a, in a nutshell. Parenthood in a nutshell. What is it? When we were kids, we were fighting the injustices of our parents. But then one day, by the grace of God, some of us are able to have children, and we have children. And then what happens to them? When we are in that position of authority, we put injustice on them. It might be a different form, but without the gospel, we perpetuate the very thing that we're fighting. And so it's really important for us to remember and to act and to think and to do. We need to act like we are people. We got to act like somebody who was raised and who was raised in love. I remember my, my second daughter, Samantha, her friend was going to join. We invited her, said, hey, we're going to go out to dinner. We're going to go to Cheesecake Factory. Uh, would you like to join us? And her friend said, ooh, I would love to, but let me call my mom first. And so she calls her mom. And her mom knew that her daughter just loves to eat. And, and, and sometimes, like, like, like a lot of teenagers, will kind of go savage on, on food. And so she said, you can go, but listen to me. You better eat and act like somebody who was raised by somebody. You better, you better act like you were raised by somebody. And that, 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 that comment resonates with me. That you and I, we need to act like we've been raised by somebody. Let me go a step further. You and I need to act. We need to speak. We need to write. We need to type. We need to, uh, we need to engage like we've been raised by someone who loved us, who worked grace into our hearts so that we could have faith. You see, friends, this is probably the heart of what Jesus is getting at in his parabolic sermon. There's another thing that I want to share with you, and I actually want to leave you with this. 
I want to leave you with um, just the fact that Jesus chose uh, an agricultural analogy, an agricultural sermon to speak about transformation. The reason why I want to raise that is something that is emerging within my own heart and maybe yours during this difficult time is a tremendous sense of hopelessness. What I see are people who are strongly believing over here and, 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 and people who are strongly believing over here and it's like no one's going to budge. And when I look at that, I feel a sense of hopelessness. When I look at the racial injustices that continue, I feel hopeless. When I look at the pandemic and the fact that um, doctors are thinking that there's going to be another wave, I feel hopeless. But something that I want to take heart in, that I want to extend to you to take heart in, is that transformation and change is slow. And you see, it is slow on an individual level. It is slow on a church level, on a community level, on a city level, on a country level, and certainly at a worldwide level. And so take heart and know that even the slowness of this change in some way is going to be an act of the grace of God. Because in that slowness, he offers us the opportunity to remember the heart of the parable of the sower. And that is, we are what we are because of grace. We have what we have because of grace. Tomorrow, when you step in to your week and you flip through social media and you read through the news and you got to listen to another relative talk about things in a way you don't like. Can I encourage you to set before your heart the gospel? And not just the gospel in its individual parts, but in the sequence that Jesus wants us to review the gospel. So that what emerges at the end of that dialogue within ourselves will be that I'm, I'm a wretched sinner saved by grace. And I will live my life in a way that reflects that. I will engage this world in the way that God wants me to engage, knowing that I have been loved by him. Let's pray. Jesus, we have become obsessed with being right at the cost of remembering that we are called to be righteous. And in our pursuit of being right, Jesus, we have taken so many steps away from this parabolic story that reminds us why we believe, why we turned on this service online, why we go to church, why we read, why we pray. And as we find ourselves in such a difficult and challenging time with so much around us, I pray that you would recenter us I pray that you would call us back to the center of your gospel that is found in this word from Jesus, your son. And Jesus, I pray that you would, um, you would forgive us and cleanse us and heal us from this self-righteousness so that we could reflect back to others in our words, in our actions, a life that knows we have been raised by someone who loved us and who forgave us and who gave us grace. 
So I pray that the church will rise and not shriek back from our obligation to this society. But I pray that we would do so. We would do so with the spirit that Jesus, you want us to do it with. And I also pray that you would equip us with the patience of knowing that agriculture is a perfect illustration because it takes time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.